it's, uh, it's nice to be on this side. Uh, you guys are all looking good today. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. When you're there, shout amen. Amen. All right. All right, Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, the people brought in the sick into the streets and laid them on their beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people full the message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would empower us to live boldly for the gospel. Lord, fill us with your love. Help us to know that you are always with us. Please be here with us, here even now on this Sunday. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, so in high school, I attended a conference called Dare to Share. Um, and this conference was supposed to really get us excited about the importance of evangelism and how we could really make a big difference on our campus for Christ. Afterwards, my, my youth group, uh, they gave us an opportunity uh, to go share the gospel with, our, with strangers, and so they drove, piled us into a van and drove us out to the big city and said, just go try it and see what happens. And I remember uh, somewhat distinctly, like, I remember, I remember like, seeing a person on a park bench and being like, all right, this is it. And so I, I walk up to the person, I, I sit down on the bench for an awkwardly long time, and then I try to make small talk, and I'm like, hi, like, uh, what's the, it's nice weather we're having, uh, I like your shoes. All right, bye, bye. And, and <laughs> that was it. Um, can any of you guys relate? Uh, for, for, thanks, yeah. For, th for those of you who know me, you, that you might not attribute that to my nervousness about evangelism. You might just attribute that to my awkwardness as a human being. But uh, I think a lot of us as Christians, we can really identify with that struggle of being confident and bold to share the gospel and live out our faith. As you just heard clearly, I, I wrestle with that. And I think even the Christians who would say that they have it all together would be quick to tell you that it's not the easiest thing in the world. So this makes me think, do we have what we need as Christians 
to be who God has called us to be. If we take a look at the disciples, maybe we are filled with even more doubt. In our passage that we just read, uh, the disciples were imprisoned for their faith after doing all these miracles, and yet, despite their circumstances, they were all the more bold. They went out and shared the gospel, even after being imprisoned. And yet, can I even stand up to share the gospel with some of my friends who I know care about me? It's a tough question, and it's an uncomfortable topic. But if I was only concerned about a pleasant Sunday, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't bring it up, but there are far greater things at stake for us and for our church and for, for our world. So today we're going to be taking a look at, the, at four different ways in which the apostles lived faithfully and boldly for the gospel leading up to and through our passage. So if you'll grab your Bibles again and turn back a chapter to Acts 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, four, so four, 4 verses 29. We'll start from there. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, earlier in this chapter, Peter had been boldly speaking against the, temp- the temple priests and the Sadducees. He'd been sharing the gospel, and they had been coming up a- against him with their threats, right? And so the church then gathers together and prays. Verse 29, this is what it says. Now, the- now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The, The apostles, they see a big threat. They're facing off against the religious rulers of their day. And these aren't just these old grumpy guys with gray beards who shake their fists, telling these upstart Christians to get off their lawn. These are people who have just a little book earlier had used all their influence to have Jesus crucified on the cross. They're just, they're people who will, a couple chapters later, have a holy and righteous man named Stephen uh, stoned to death and then subsequently begin persecuting the church. So the threat that they're going up against is very real. And how does the church respond against such threats? By worship and by prayer. And this is the first point. Pray big prayers. Pray big prayers. The early church could have responded in a whole host of ways, right? They could have tried to lay low. They could have tried to uh, work harder. They could have tried to call more church meetings and more plans, have more church strategy. But instead, they meet together and pray. Why? Because even though their threat is big, they know that they serve a much bigger God. Church family, does this sound familiar to you? I see some very clear parallels to our own church family right here and right now and the early church. If you attended our most recent concert of prayer, you would know that Jessica and Taishi, or sorry, Jessica and Renee and Taishi and everyone else did a great job. Um, among others, to turning our attention towards God in light of some of the hardship and the spiritual battles that our church has been ra- facing recently. Our church went up against a real and present threat, and how did we respond? Also by worship and prayer. Praise God. That's not to say that, that this struggle has been easy. 
It's been, it's been really challenging. Pastor Corey is on vacation right now, as Darren mentioned, and boy, could he use it. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the timeshares and presentations in Hawaii that he goes to sometimes, uh, although those are certainly nice, I'm sure. Um, but the, this, this past week, Pastor Corey and Chelsea, they actually uh, took a week-long week personal retreat just to refocus themselves, to focus on God, and focus on where God is leading our church. You know, it could have been easy for him to cancel his plans once he found out like, that he has a ton more work to do and all these unexpected things came up, but Pastor Corey and Chelsea are setting an example for us as a church for things that we need to do if we want to connect with God's heart and be in tune with where he's leading us both personally and communally. So that's the importance of being in prayer. But the, the types of prayers that we pray are also just as important. The disciples, they prayed big prayers, huge prayers, huge, much bolder than I dare to pray. They asked, one, that God would enable them to speak boldly in the face of danger, and two, that God would heal, them and heal through them and perform miracles. God answered their prayers by shaking the place, by filling them with the Holy Spirit, and by answering their prayers to enable them to speak boldly for the sake of the gospel. And this should be our response as a church. When we see a threat in our life, when we see a threat come up against our church, pray even bigger, bolder prayers. Beloved church, pray, be, be bold and pray big prayers. If we jump ahead a few verses to Acts chapter 5, we can see that, secondly, the disciples took their sin seriously. That's the second point. They took their sin seriously. Last week, Pastor Corey preached on Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, if you guys weren't there last week, or if you need a refresher, we'll just go through that right now. Acts 5, chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of the apostles and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that you, Satan has so filled your heart? that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't your money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her and buried her outside beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes I think that for those of us who have grown up in church, uh, we can become overly familiar with these kinds of stories. Uh, not that we can ever re- read the Bible too much. I don't know if that's possible, but... Um, maybe we become a little bit numb to like what this passage is, is, 
communicating or how alarming it is. Like, imagine if this was your first church service or first time reading the Bible, and you walk in and you hear that God struck down all the, all the liars dead. That would definitely make you take your sin really seriously. And some of you might be like, wait, wait, what about grace, right? And that's good, if you were thinking about it. Um, we see that Ananias and, uh, and Sapphira, and we wonder why they were judged just for one sin, right? But one commentator gives a very clear reason, saying that a, a church that tolerates sin won't be around for the next generation. God cared so much about the early church body that he rooted them out. The question isn't so much why did Ananias and Sapphira die when they sinned, but more so why don't we die on the spot when we sin? Right? And the answer to that question, of course, is grace. But if God takes sin that seriously, that he would root it out, that he would protect the early church body, then should we not follow in his footsteps an example and do the same in our approach to sin. So what does it look like to take our sin seriously? For starters, I think we need to be in community. Um, I attended a Christian college called Azusa Pacific University, um, and it was a great experience. Um, but uh, every, every year, there's people who complain about uh, that, the fact that it's mandatory to go to chapel three times a week. And, you know, for a busy college student who has classes and friends and everything else, that can seem like a lot. Uh, but the counterpoint to that is that chapel is, necess- is a necessary component of what keeps a Christian university Christian. Did you know that most of the universities that were started in America started as Christian universities? Uh, schools like Harvard, Yale, USC. And, and when they eliminated the, the communal aspect of worship and prayer, the university died a slow, painful, spiritual death. It eventually was far too easy to become like the rest of the surrounding culture and embrace the world's ways rather than godly ways. Without something that points us to Christ and away from sin, it's only a matter of time before the institution will become just a normal uni- university. However, I would, I would say that just simply attending chapel, simply attending a church service, is not enough. I would encourage you to be in a small group that meets regularly and consistently. You know, while, while Sunday service, it's great for, like, I, I really like, feel like the love and encouragement and support. It's not exactly built for deep moments of confession. Like, imagine if Darren had gotten up and he said, okay, please greet one another by sharing your deepest, darkest sin. Like, that'd be wild, right? Uh, um, yeah, something much more conducive for that, for, for that type of confession, for that sharing, is a small group. Well, uh, I, I would encourage you to be with a small group who meets consistently with you, and who you can be vulnerable with, and a group that will like, routinely check up on you, and you, that you know has your best interest at heart, that you can grow alongside with. If you aren't in a small group and you have things in your life that you've never confessed to anyone, that you've really been struggling with, um, the prospect of, scaring, of sharing your sin can seem really scary. Heck, man, like, I'm, I'm in a small group right now, like, and I, I don't want to share my sin to them. Uh, I'd much rather like, just go to Panera and get my U-Pick 2 and make jokes with them about why some of us are dating and why some of us are single and uh, why, you know... I'd rather talk about sports than the reason why I've been lustful this week or angry. Um, but I'm, I'm so grateful that they're in my life. 
because I know where I'd be without their investment in me. Small groups are an effective way to combat our sin because being vulnerable and confessing our sin will allow your small group to speak Christ's truth into your life. If you aren't in a small group and if you don't have a group of friends or or a friend who can really check in on you regularly, if you aren't open with your parents, um, if it's hard for you and your spouse to take time away from your familial responsibilities to really have these difficult questions, then I would say you are in a very scary place because you have no one to tell you when you're going off track. When I examine my own life and I think about my my life, and I, I look at my own personal failures, I, I realize the times where I failed the most have been times where I didn't have enough Nathan speaking into my life. If you recall, uh, Nathan is uh, the prophet who called out King David for his sin in committing adultery with Bathsheba and then mur- murdering her husband Uriah to try to cover his tracks. Like David, I have had my own fair, of, fair share of sins that I've harbored that I didn't want anyone to know about. Um, But when one of my friends finally helped me shed light on my sin, it was was really scary because I would have to face the weight of what I had done against God and against others. But it was so relieving to trade that guilt and that shame for the wholeness and freedom that Christ offers. You know, in my six years of being here, I've gotten to know a lot of you, and y'all are just so, so beautiful and kind, and, well, most of you are beautiful and kind. Uh, I, I, know that, I know that many of you have been faithful to God longer than I've been alive. And while I struggled addressing it, I, I bring it up because I know that anyone can fall to sin. Jeremiah says that the human heart is wicked and deceitful. Who can understand it? So, dear brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles, take your sin seriously. If you're not part of a small group, start one. Join one. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, find some trusted people to be transparent with. If you're interested in joining a small group, there's more information in the back at our Connection Central booth. That's, that's just our sin, right? Take, take, our, take your sin seriously. But the, the, the second way we can take our, our sin seriously is, like Nathan did to David, talking to your friends about their sins in their lives. This is scary. Sharing the truth in love in order to take sin seriously takes a lot of boldness. It's a dicey subject because feelings can be hurt. We can be too afraid to share something that... And, and instead, we would prioritize the relationships so we don't have to make things awkward or uncomfortable. If I think back on my, life, my own life, I can think, like, there's been moments where I've been like, ah, man, like, what was I thinking, right? If, if only I had someone to speak into my life and tell me, like, what a fool I was being, then maybe I wouldn't be, have to go through all this, like, hurt and pain. It's important. I know that for me, as, as an Asian American, like, there can be a cultural tendency to be like, non-confrontational and to like, kind of skirt around the issues, right? But I encourage you, if, if that's true for you, fight against that. Being, being sensitive and not wanting to like, publicly humiliate someone, that's like, so good. That's important, right? But if we want to live boldly and take sin seriously, then we must follow God's command to do so. 
if God is pressing someone on your heart right now, but you're not really sure how to go about it or you're scared, Scripture has some very clear directives from the Word to help us think through these sorts of things, right? In Matthew 7, 3 through 5, it talks about removing the plank from your own eyes so then you can remove the speck from someone else's. It, in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it talks about how when you have, want to approach someone with, sin, with a sin issue, you should go up to them one-on-one first, right, to see if you can win them over. And if not, bring in a couple of other trusted believers to have that group conversation. And if not, to bring them in front of the church that they might repent. But if, even if they don't, then the Bible says to treat them like you would a tax collector or a pagan. But, but how did Jesus treat the tax collectors and pagans, right? He, he spent time with them, right? He, he ate at their house, right? He, it essentially says still love them even if they don't repent, that they might be won back to Christ. In Galatians 6, 1 through 2, it says, if so, a brother or a sister is caught in sin, restore them gently. And be, but be careful that you yourself are not tempted, and in so in bearing one another's burdens, so we demonstrate the love of Christ. I think at, at the heart of it, uh, it really boils down to First John one six through seven. Right? It says, "If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is the light." We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all our sin. True community with God and with each other is impossible with, for it to thrive if our unchecked sin slinks in the background of our lives. Our failure to swallow our pride and expose that our, sin, our own sin or to help other people, like to lovingly confront others about their sin, only leads to long-term hurt in our community. Beloved church, be bold and take your sin seriously. All right, jumping ahead into our actual passage for today. Uh, Acts 5.17. Acts 5.17. Says, it says this. The high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostle and put them in public jail. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. This is the third point. Share all about your new life. Share all about your new life. Some of us might have read this story and think, like, okay, great. Like, an angel showed up. That's, like, that's like really cool. Like, that's awesome for them, right? I've, I've never been in a prison. I've never seen an angel. Uh, how can I have the same confidence that they have to go share about their new life, like, as the apostles did, right? How can I do that if I've never seen something miraculous, like, an angel setting me free from a prison. Surprise! I would argue that God, that you have seen that, that, you, that God has done that in your life. And if not, you have opportunities for God to do that in your life. What do I mean by that? The disciples were set free from a literal prison by an angel, but because of Jesus, we've been set free from prisons that have, of, of sin that have the potential to be so much more deadly than just a normal human prison. In Matthew 10, 28, it says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, 
Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Once God has saved you and continues to set you free from any sin prisons that you might find yourself in danger of, that's when you're free and empowered to preach the gospel. It's the gospel that sets us free in the first place. It sets us free because we can rejoice in knowing that our creator loves us and is the holiest of holies. It sets us free because we remember that we were created and loved so we don't have to strive to find our sense of identity or self-worth in our own efforts and success. It sets us free because even though we have, know we have missed the mark and we deserve eternal punishment before a holy and righteous God, Christ took our punishment on the cross that we might have eternal life with him. It sets us free because even though God has told us to go and share the gospel, and that can be really scary sometimes, he promised that he will always be with us and he will never forsake us. The gospel sets us free and empowers us to live boldly. I shared earlier at the beginning of the sermon that I... I'm really bad at evangelism. Um, and a couple, flashbacks back to high school, a couple weeks later from that incident, still really trying to pray and ask God that he would help me love and evangelize to people and reach out to them. But I'm, like, really terrible. All my fr- invites to friends fail. No one wants to come to church. I'm getting discouraged, but I keep praying. And... One day at youth group, my, my friend, she says, hey, like, my friend, she's transferring to your school. Uh, maybe you'll see her on the school bus. You, can, you should go say hi to her for, her for me. Her name's Andrea. And I'm like, cool, I, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. But then in my head, I'm like, I don't know what this girl looks like. I don't know. Uh, there's like 30 school buses that go to my school. Like, the chances of her being on my school bus are really slim. Probably not going to say hi to her, but okay, you know, I'll keep an eye out, right? And then a couple weeks later, I'm getting onto the school bus. I see this, this girl sitting by herself, and immediately there's just a thought that runs through my head, like, oh, that's, that's the girl. That's Andrea. And I'm like, no, it's not. But I have to sit next to her because it's the only seat that's available, and so I sit next to her, and I just feel like the Holy Spirit's really pressing it upon my heart, like, hey, man, you should talk to her, you should talk to her. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But, but finally, I'm like, all right, if this light turns red, I'll, I'll say, I'll talk to her, right? And so light turns red, and I'm like, of course it does, right? And so I'm like, uh, <laughs> all right, like, I, 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 like, look at her, right? And I'm like, so do you ride the bus often? <laughs> and she, like, she, like kind of looks at me, and she's like, yep. And I'm like, all right, cool, like, see you later, right? But then she's like, well, actually, I just transferred here from this high school. And I was like, oh, my gosh, do you, are you Andrea? Do you know my friend? And she's like, she's like I really freaked her out. Um, <laughs> but by God's grace, right, we, somehow after that we became friends. Um, and, like, a couple years later, I was, God just kind of orchestrated it again where I was able to share my testimony with her. Like, it was just really miraculous. Like, and so I, I share all that because like, it was clear that I was like, so bad, right? Like God literally needed to intervene and, like, and set something up that, so that I could like, share and pray, my faith with, with this girl, right? But if you, are, if you feel like you're terrible at evangelism or if you are afraid or if, if it's really hard for you to live out your faith, 
Know that God will not let you drown. He's got you. Know that God will, even, even though it, it might be hard for us to be faithful, he will be faithful to us. Beloved church family, be bold and share about your new life. The last way we live boldly for the gospel is to obey God even when it's scary. That's the last point. To obey God even when it's scary. If we look ahead to Acts chapter, chapter 5, verse 21, we see that it says, When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. They sent to the jail for the apostles. But upon arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found, nothing, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at all the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this, the report, the captain and the temple guards were puzzled, wondering what had come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing at the, in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they were feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. He said, We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. This is a scary situation. Remember, these people... Like, just crucified Jesus. There are powerful people out for blood, right? However, the disciples, emboldened by their prayers, just having seen God release them from the prisons that they were in and being instructed to preach the gospel, they were not about to let these mere men stand in their way. So what sort of things scare us? What sort of things hold us back from serving and loving God? It could be persecution, leaving our comfort zones. It could be loving people that are hard to love, sharing. It could be failing to be a good, a faithful son or daughter or husband or wife. It could be sharing the gospel with a stranger. It could be sharing the gospel with our in-laws. It could could be fear of spiders. Whatever it is. There are three reasons for us to, confident, to be confident and to obey God rather than men, even when it's scary. The first is that the disciples' call and commission to share the gospel did not come from themselves, right? If we continue on in Acts, it says, Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. And then verse 33, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But the Pharisee named Gamaliel, the teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody. About 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After that, Judas the Galilean appeared the days before the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. 
Let them go. For if the purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. If we think through the story of the apostles so far, right, we can think uh, earlier in this chapter that the apostles' miracles and, and healings, those did not come from themselves, right? They prayed, God filled them with the Spirit, came from God. The rescue from the prison did not come from their own wittiness or their secret spy skills, right, but rather from God. The command to share about the new life did not come from themselves, but from God. And if we look forward a few verses more, we'll see that the disciples are persecuted, they're, they're beaten, they're flogged, and they rejoice. They rejoice that, that they were counted worthy of the name to suffer, to suffer for the name of God, right? And that joy and that suffering for the gospel, that did not come from themselves, but from God. The second point is this, uh, that God does all the heavy lifting. Um, it's it's common for um, our church, uh, some, for some of the, the youth and for the young adults to, and college students to go to this camp called Winter Vision. And I remember when I was a, a, a rookie cabin leader trying to help, my, like, trying to help out the youth and, like, and tell them about the gospel. I remember feeling a sense of inadequacy um, at these camps because I always look at other people and I'm like, dang, this person's so funny. Like, this person's cool. Like... I wish I could be like them. I wish like the kids like looked up to them the same way, or I wish I could like was as fluent in the gospel as they are, right? And I, and I was like, I was always in my own head. Um, and one one time at a camp, this guy grabbed me, sat me down, and said, "You know, Stephen, like I know you're worrying about a lot of stuff, but really, you only have two responsibilities: pray and be faithful, right? Like if you." If you can pray for your cabin and if you can ask God to move, and if you can just be faithful with what he's entrusted you, then you're good, right? He shared the, with the verse with me that, like, it's, God, it, it, it's Paul who plants the seed and Apollos who waters it, right? But it's God who makes it grow, right? It's not our responsibility to make anything happen other than, it, like, in someone's spiritual life. It's God. And so if I went out and shared the gospel and fell flat on my face, is that success? By this standard, yes. Yes, it is. God does all the heavy lifting. Lastly, um, a reason we, we can be confident to obey God rather than men, even when it's scary, is that God will give you the strength to endure. A long time ago, there's this uh, young girl named Corey uh, who wrestled you know, with the same question. She, she, Corey was this girl who really wanted to take her faith seriously and live boldly, but she wasn't sure she would be able to. So distressed by this, she asked her dad, and she's like, Dad, like, what if I'm not able to stand up for my faith? What if, when it comes down to it, I can't be a martyr for Christ? And her dad lovingly replied, Corey, when I give you money for the train ticket, do I give it to you three weeks before or do I give it to you the day of your trip? And she said, the day I go on the train. And her father said, exactly. And so it is with God. Right now, you don't need the strength to be a martyr for Christ. But should that day ever come, he will give you that strength when you need it.
Several years later, Corey would need that strength as her, she and her family would be sent to a Nazi concentration camp for helping hide and house the Jews. Her, her father and her sister would die at the cruelty of the Nazis, and she would need God's strength to continue to lead her fellow captives in worship despite her dire circumstances and her deep personal losses. Many years after the war, she would need the strength to forgive some of the Nazis who were before her, some of whom had been especially cruel to her and her sister. Some of you right now, you don't need the strength to become a martyr. Right now, some of you don't need the strength to overcome cancer. Some of you don't need the strength to deal with the loss of a loved one. But one day, you will. And when that day comes, God will give you the strength to live all the more boldly with him. Beloved church, be bold and obey God, even when it's scary. Let's pray. God, we love you. We need you more than ever. Please empower us to be bold, to pray big prayers, to take our sins seriously, to share about our new life, to not be afraid, but to obey you. Even at great personal cost, Lord, may we obey you. God, be here with us right now as we go into worship. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.